I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. Guru Nation, we are live. Thank you so much for joining us. Put your questions, comments. I'm going live for the second time today. Why? Because I'm working from home today. And when else am I going to podcast? When I'm at the clinic? I do it sometimes. We got Dr. Ramaswamy on. He's been on the show before. I've known him. Hey, Dr. Ramaswamy, thank you so much. I've no, I've known you so long. You've sent me books before. Yes. We've engaged from afar on Twitter, on yeah. LinkedIn. You're my Twitter buddy. I watch all your tweets, especially the ones with Jokic. Jokovic. Yeah, we can get into that or not. I don't, you know, I'm already in YouTube jail. What else is going to happen? But um, really, you reached out because, you know, I don't think I think 90 percent of the U.S., just the average Joe and probably the same amount of sites, like 90 percent of sites and CRAs did not realize how close we came to a financial disaster with SVB. Bank, Valley Bank that on Sunday afternoon the Fed came up with a plan to make it okay. It's not okay long term, but that's another podcast. But it's okay short term. But at you and I know a few other sites that were using SVB for their payroll. You weren't using SVB for your payroll, but you were being you were gonna be affected by some payments from sponsors. Absolutely. The scary stuff, man. Like what happened? Like how how did we get here and how close was it to not being okay? Yeah, so th that's a great question. So for me, my alarm bell started ringing when, you know, I saw the bank shutter in like Silicon Valley. We work with at least uh, four sponsors in that area. And so one of the things that I actually learned was I went through uh, Greensboro, North Carolina Chamber of Commerce um, you know, business uh, accelerator program two years ago. So part of that, my professor there was able to get a lot of information about the clinical trials industry from a business perspective, like in-depth analysis. So one of the lines that even back then stood out to me was how reliant 
the CRO industry is on low interest rates. And there was a line in that document that said, and this document is at least four or five years old. Uh, and, uh, and that line said, if interest rates change, this industry can be in trouble. So that sort of line stuck with me even two years ago. So as these interest rates changed, I was always kind of worried about how this would affect us. And then when Silicon Valley Bank went down, you know, everybody said tech. And I said, wait a minute, we have four sponsors in the Bay Area. And some of them are like, you know, the early stage, you know, biotechs. So I decided to get in and do like a Google search. And then sure enough, like one of the sponsors was listed as a flagship company of Silicon Valley Bank. Like that company was like really promoted and started uh, because of Silicon Valley Bank funding. Uh, but the sponsor was able to like, you know, send a public statement saying that they're okay. And, you know, they're kind of well capitalized. And wow. since then, the did sponsors... Did they do that on Friday or over the week? No, they did that on Saturday. They yeah. did on Saturday, okay. Correct, correct. Yeah, I'm sure there were emergency meetings and things like that. And um, and, a and a couple of other sponsors got back to me saying they, they were not banking with uh, at Silicon Valley Bank. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, so then, then there was this whole thing that happens on Sunday. You probably, people following Twitter uh, was, you know, there was all this bank run going on in other banks. Uh, and yep. then I bank with two banks personally, uh, with Wells Fargo, the large bank, and then another regional bank. Uh, and I suddenly noticed that the large banks, which are willing to take deposits from these small banks, like Wells Fargo opened up their limits for in interbank transfers like, uh, like a lot. And the small regional bank had shut down any capabilities for transferring money out uh, to another bank. And so that kind of got me really worried that if a sponsor gets affected, then all our accounts receivables are going to be stuck and we wouldn't be getting paid. Uh, and so that was my real concern uh, over the weekend. Are you still concerned now on Tuesday? Uh, maybe a little bit because we don't know like, you know, to what, you know, what the Fed is going to do with increasing interest rates further we don't know what other banks are doing. We don't know how whether people will go do a bank run. I think if people get into a mass hysteria and do a yeah. bank run and a lot of regional banks shut down, it can have ripple effects across the economy. Yeah, we were close to doing a bank run. I mean, we if Monday morning, if the Fed, I think if they didn't come out with that statement Sunday, I think it would have panicked. Twitter was going absolutely nuts. All the elite venture capitalists, yeah, yeah, I know you were uh, arguing with David Sachs on Twitter. <laughs> I saw it. I follow. I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, I saw it. I mean, these VCs were like up in arms about what's happening with their money. I mean, they're all they're all involved with this SVB to some extent. SVB was very good at business development, and that's yeah. how they were able to get. Uh, you know, they wine and dined um, all these founders to use their their bank, and then they they forced them to use their payroll if they're going to bank with them, all that stuff. So, man, crisis averted. But do you think this is, like, just showing the tip of the iceberg? Do you, like, do you, what do you think is the future of our industry if interest rates keep going up? Um, I, you know, I, I wish I was a macroeconomist and be able to predict that. I honestly don't know. Uh, but I do think, like, uh, taking, 
loans uh, and being successful is going to be harder. Uh, I do think that even finding, uh, uh, you know, private equity to invest in a lot of clinical trials can can be more challenging. Uh, and uh, but having said that, I always take inspiration from uh, this guy called Jack Stack. Uh, he's written a book called The Great Game of Business. Uh, and so back in the 80s, late 70s, he uh, was with Ingersoll Rand and they sent him to, uh, I think, somewhere in Illinois uh, to go uh, look after a factory that was just going down. It's, it, I forget the name. I think it's Swiss. It's some kind of a re-engineering company. And so he took an 18% loan uh, because that's how high the interest rates were. And, but, and he turned it to be very profitable. Uh, and he writes about that in the, uh, in the book called Great Game of Business. Great Game uh, of Business. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, a profit-sharing, uh, open book management philosophy that he created. And, how, and about, uh, it's about how you engage your employees financially and motivate them and have an open a transparent uh, you know philosophy uh, and so i i find that as inspiration but it is scary i mean if you're taking a debt that's 18 percent interest rate um it's going to be hard i think for sites uh getting up payments on time is is, is a crucial thing I, you know i don't like yeah <laughs> i was joking with one of the sponsors because i i'm comfortable with one of the higher ups at a sponsor on Friday and my study hasn't paid me in all year so far. And we've been enrolling. We've been, I joked around. I said, Hey, is the CRO you're using uh, banking with SVB? <laughs> but in reality, I was like half joking because, Hey, maybe they are like, I don't actually know. Um, these CROs, do you think they have exposure to the SVB or do you um, able to figure that out? I don't know. Most of them are in North Carolina, right? Like Quint uh, IQVS headquartered just an hour from where I live. Yeah. Uh, PPD is in Wilmington, which is three hours from where I live. It's in the same state. Uh, you know, Cineas Health uh, was in Raleigh, which is an hour away. Uh, so a lot of them are on the East Coast, the big CROs. Uh, and so I think exposure to Silicon Valley Bank might be low. Uh, but uh, for example, LabCorp is only like 30 minutes from my house. Um, and, um, so they're all like North, a lot of them are North Carolina based. So I'm yeah, thinking they'll right. be banking with, uh, Truist, which is the 10th largest bank or Wells Fargo bank of America, uh, is what I think they're bigger companies too. Uh, yeah. so, um, maybe not, Crisis but they're getting the money from sponsors and like, you know, a lot of sponsors, like, especially like, you know, we do a lot of rare disease work. So we work with smaller biotechs. Those ones are like, you know. Uh, early stage, late stage companies, wow. uh, completely venture funded. Um, yeah, that actually is. A, I have a. We were selected for a depression study with a company out of the Bay Area, and haven't done the budget yet. But wow, I would have been worried too. Had it had we already had the budget and started seeing patients. Um, yeah. Okay, crisis averted for now, but something that. You know, historians will record. I mean, you guys pay attention to this stuff and, you know, ask yourself, may it happen again? Be careful about uh, all these kind of things. Stay up to date. So you mentioned this this book, Great Game of Business, and the, uh, the author emphasizes profit sharing. And you've, yeah. you're a site owner. 
Pulmonics LLC. You've been you're a pulmonologist. You've been doing pulmonar uh, pulmonology studies since 2015, I believe. Right. Um, yeah. How has that been so far? It's now eight years, right? Eight years. Yeah, uh, I'd say really like we went into uh, operations 2016. Uh, you know, we're, we're integrated uh, into our community health system. Uh, I'm a physician there as well. So it's, a, it's, it's sort of a, it's the way to see it is we're a research practice that's integrated inside the health system. Uh, so we, in essence, function like a department. Uh, yeah. but, but we're like a freestanding site that's got a vendor relationship. Uh, so we're able to do a lot of like, uh, you know, um, challenging uh, uh, disease states. Uh, so our, like my, my clinical area focuses pulmonary fibrosis, which is a rare disease. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, so there are several things that have come out of it. Like we did the trial that got the first ever drug for the disease ever launched in 2014. Uh, so, uh, so it's, it's after that we formalized the, you know, research, uh, you know, group, uh, as such. Uh, so by doing such rare disease research, it's helped the clinic and health system in multiple ways. It's, it gives a brand identity. Uh, we were able to get the clinic like a national center of excellence recognition. Uh, you know, it's integrated with the support group. Uh, so, and, uh, and we've got probably the, one of the the largest, if not the largest, patient volume for the for this rare disease now in North Carolina. Um, wow! And yeah, yeah. And pulmonary fibrosis is like fairly rare, and so uh, and, and so like it's for research. It's it's been a good thing for patients because there are not many treatments. They come to research, and we've been able to execute uh, rare disease research pretty well. How has it been uh, running your site? Like you. In 2016 or 2015, you know, you had the idea as yeah. an employee of that of that health system. Hey, why don't I start a research site? You had to talk with the executives at the health system, and they said, "Sure, Dr. Ramaswamy, go ahead." Is that was it like simple to do? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so we had some uh, um, you know historical precedents, uh, so there was already that model there. We were able to just formalize it. I'm sure now if you were to go, it'll be like extremely challenging. Mm. Uh, yeah, because we were already physicians in the health system and in the community, a lot of the physicians were serving the health system like a practice model. Uh, so it was a lot easier. Uh, but since then, like, you know, with health systems owning a lot of the practices, it's it's very hard to get a contract yeah. like that anymore. Yeah. What so you you came early you were early on the trend because now i, I wouldn't even say early i was like in the last part of the trend and wow. being a smaller city where and and because my mentor had like already set up the base work for it it was sort of easier i see so did you offer the health system a percentage of the no we just pay like space and they actually the main condition is that they uh uh, they they lease the employees to us, so we have to hire through them. Ah, so you maintain okay. the culture, uh, and you have to like you know in order to get like computer access and everything and patient access, HIPAA and all that. Yeah. Do you find that challenging? Like you you're only allowed to interview from their candidates, or you're allowed? Correct. To correct. Yeah, it is. It is. So I think I would say the nice thing about it there's pros and cons obviously the nice thing about it is that 
they're treated as any other health system employee. So like, uh, you know, they, uh, they have access to the patients, they have, uh, we, you know, we're able to reach all the patients easily. So it's, it's one, one united presentation, you know, uh, from the health system and uh, their benefits are good, things like that. So, so uh, it's one code of conduct for anybody working in the health system, one set of cultural values. Uh, but the disadvantage is uh, hiring process is extremely slow. Uh, you know, um, those, those kind of onboarding processes are slower uh, and employee management uh, practices have to be very structured very differently. Uh, yeah, so your, to exert your own individual philosophy into your company, it's like a lot different from a freestanding site. I, I would imagine. I would also imagine that they onboard their staff first, and then do they give you the choice? Like, hey, Dr. Ramaswamy, I heard you need another coordinator. Yeah, we, so there are like so over the years, they've understood us, and like you know, we've been able to come up with like systems where like we're able to like hire directly for our needs. So they have they have pathways now. So it's called a PNL practice, profit and loss practice. So if you have a profit and loss practice, uh, which applies to a bunch of other medical practices, you have a different pathway for approval. Like so, it's not tied to the hospital finances. Uh, you can have a different justification, uh, but you still have to go through that process. PNL profit and loss practice. So, I'm guessing that you can tap into some other doctors as well for investigators. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're not just relying on yourself being the PI, although you right. do a fair mm -hmm. amount of it. And I'm guessing in the name, <laughs> you're sharing the profits to some extent. No, right? no, no, no. So it's no. just it's just uh, space and um, uh, and just the lease. Yeah, and then you use the wow. service. Because, but yeah, you, you unless they have a joint ownership, you you can't. I see because they're a not profit, not for profit, or no, no, no. It's just a vendor relationship. Like you just, a, yeah, I correct. See. Like so, by under healthcare law, you should you cannot share profits unless they're a joint owner. So if I try to put myself in their shoes. Their interest is not only keeping you happy as a doctor and make, making sure that you don't leave if you actually want to do research, better to keep Dr. Ramaswamy here doing it with us and there are other physicians there, no? Correct, correct. And then the patients get the opportunity of doing research mm -hmm. and for a health system, it's a lower risk in the sense that they're not taking the financial risk into investing into research, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, that, it's an interesting model. You know, Brad, Brad Hightower from uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, he has a similar model. I'm not sure it's the same incentives for the hospital system there with him. He's not a physician, but I think he does some kind of uh, profit sharing with them. Um, hmm. But that's really that's an interesting business model you get there. Yeah, I think like you know, uh, for example, have you heard of Javara? Uh. If I have, it was from you in the last interview. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they're uh, what's called a, you know, this, there are a few of them. If you go to the meetings, they talk about integrated research organizations, IRO. Right. IRO, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, they, uh, I think one of them is um, Javara. 
which is based in Winston-Salem, like 30 minutes from us. I see. Uh, they have a big tie-up with uh, Atrium Health, uh, which is like now the fifth largest health system in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's Atrium Adventist Health. So mm -hmm. they own hospitals in Charlotte, North Carolina, Winston-Salem, like Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, I think they had, they took private equity money and then they also, from the word on the street is they might have, uh, like they have a tie up uh, with Atrium Health. Uh, Atrium might have like a, um, you know, equity interest in them. This, this is from what I've heard. I don't yeah. know if it's true or not. But that that's like a true integrated where they like do a partnership. I think Brad is closer, without speaking for him, I think he's closer to that model than what you have. Yeah. Um, I think yours is like unique for physicians that already work at a at a practice, but that's a blueprint. Did you think to approach them, or they approached you? Or, um... No, it was so. As I told you, like there was some basic infrastructure like this remaining from the past before the hospitals. So when our hospital health system started taking over the practices, they left research alone. They were not interested. So they always main, they just left research alone all along. And so then it was more rudimentary. And I, I just reorganized that into like, a, into more like a business oriented approach, if you I will. See. I see. Yeah. So, but the precedence was all already there. Neurology research is like that in our town. Um, mm -hmm. And so cardiology was like that, but they're not like that right now. Yeah. I see. So are you, because I know your, your pulmonology do you ever have ambitions of doing other therapeutic areas within the health system or mm, personally um, uh, not right now put it that way yeah but may maybe as a, a on the business side maybe if we expand i still love taking care of patients i see so that's i mean i love doing the business i love taking care of patients and but in order for the business to scale more i would need to you know uh, give up something yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i see <laughs> That's interesting. Do you, how do you, what does your staff look like? I mean, I know they're not, they're technically the hospital system staff, but do they report to you? And Correct, correct. So the you? hospital system has what's called a, a you know, um, dyad model. So even within that, even though like I own this, whatever, but administratively they've set up what's called the dyad model. So I have a manager and then uh, I'm the, uh, uh, director from like an administrative standpoint or the medical director. Mm -hmm. So the manager and I work together as like, uh, like I said, dyad. That's how like, if you look at the, uh, like a lot of departments, for example, let's say you go to cardiology clinic. If you go to cardiology clinic, there's a head cardiologist who is the MD and the MD is paired with an, say an MBA uh, or an administrator. So they work together. One runs the like the medical side and the administrative side. Uh, so every department across the health system is like that, and they call that a dyad. Uh, so we work like that. Uh, although I would say that for us, it's a it's a little bit more like I'm also the owner. Yeah, I see. And then, how what's your structure like um, how many employees do you have do you have a manager or is it just yeah correct we have a manager the manager and i have the dyad so she runs the operations i weave the strategy and like you know uh and the finances uh, but she runs the operations and then 
Uh, I think uh, all like if you take W two employees, we're like ten right now. We started off with like three. Wow. Uh, and so, and then if you look at all the ten ninety nines, everybody we're like at fifteen. Yeah. Wow. But but the hospital technically employs them, and then you lease them back from the hospital. Yeah, correct. So we so we completely fund their payroll and um, benefits see. and everything. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that's a really interesting. I think you have. A unique model. I don't know. I mean, you said it was done before in other other. No, areas. done before in 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 our place. But yeah, mm -hmm. because a lot of physicians I know are watching or listening in the future. Whenever I'm out of YouTube jail, this will go there. Um, they might look and get inspired by this um, idea because the large health systems are only getting larger. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, well, things can change. To be honest, so there are a couple of the three, there are a few things happening which can be uh, a complete game changer in healthcare. Hmm. Uh, so one is the uh, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, uh, is um, they actually have um, a public posting right now. Uh, people can talk about their thoughts on non-competes. So the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, wants to get rid of non-competes this year. And they and it up and they said it applies to everybody. And they said it applies to hairstylists. It applies to physicians. Wow. Uh, and they said that what's happening in the United States is corporate co coercion. Uh, and they said that uh, you know it's affecting minorities disproportionately. And and it's they said it's it extends across the entire spectrum from from people in the executive structure to physicians to nurses to hairstylists. That's what they CRAs. said. Yeah, so, so they're going to get rid of non-competes. Is this like going to happen or you think it's... Yeah, they're, they're very committed. They're, and if you look at legal opinion right now, legal opinion is that at, in some form, the government's going to get rid of non-competes by end of this year. By end of this year. So FTC getting rid of non-competes. That's, that's the first time I'm hearing this. You see, this is why Dr. Ramaswamy is a must-follow on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Okay, what's the number two? You said three things. Okay, so number two is that this is something unique to some states, particularly like North Carolina. North Carolina, there's something called Certificate of Necessity, C-O-N. So if, if a health system is in a particular market, another health system cannot, like, put in a lab or a CT scan or another hospital mm -hmm. in that market without getting state regulators permission. Okay. Without. Yeah. Yeah. But now that's going to go away. That's going to go away. So the, that would make it worse for the monopoly, the monopolies, right? Correct. Correct. So it'll make it worse for the monopoly. Meaning it will incentivize the monopolies to get bigger. No, no, no. It'll, it'll allow people to come and compete into markets. Ah, I see. Okay, so so they wouldn't be able, like where I'm at in Yuma, Yuma Regional Medical Center, huge. <laughs> they own the whole city, everything you want to do. I mean, I found the few specialists that don't work with them, that do private practice, that are my PIs. Um, oncology, there's only one group <laughs> that's independent. I have yet to strike a deal with them, but Durham, Psych, neuro internal medicine i have a few mri there's still enough private non-healthcare system but you're saying if this this is state specific so in north carolina they're doing this called oh. 
certificate of necessity. Interesting. I have to look into Arizona. It might be there in California too. That might prevent others from coming into a market. Yeah, I think California. I have to look into Arizona and see uh, specifically what that would look. Thank you for that. I'll Google certificate oh. of necessity for Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. And number three? Number three, I forgot right now. <laughs> <laughs> number three, don't bank with SVB. Yeah. Is yeah. The... I know. Number three, don't bank with SVB. Yeah. Maybe now they're the safest bank to bank yeah. with. Yeah. Maybe now everyone should rush to SVB. Okay. Um, but point is, you think, in your opinion, the large healthcare systems have reached their peak, and now we might see more long tail? Uh, well, I would, I would put it this way. I think um, they are going to be definitely more uh, flexible in how they treat their physician employees. More flexible in how I see. Oh, uh, correct, correct, correct. Because I think... Um, um, I, you know, I think if if they if there is a threat, their physicians can bolt uh, across the street or across the town uh, because you know that that's going to have them because there's another hospital going to come in town or and they can't and and the non-compete is going to go away. Um, yeah, the non-compete. Okay, yeah, this because I'm working under the paradigm that these health systems are only going to get bigger. Basically, because the government, the payers are incentivizing this in this trend. In this, right. uh, that, that, that part has not changed fundamentally, so that can still happen. Uh, oh, yeah. The third thing that's in, under the cards is that doctors can own hospitals. Doctors can own hospitals. Right now, they cannot. But, but they, is that federal, federal or? Federal Trade Commission might allow doctors to own hospitals. Okay, but none of this changes uh, sizes might with the insurance company. Okay, right. so it's possible that like while competition comes into town, it will probably drive the smaller programs out of business. And, and then the biggest health systems can become even bigger. Uh, but to some extent, the employer-employee dynamic can change. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, do you use shifting gears now? Because this is interesting. I have to look up all these things now. Um, how do you manage the site? Do you guys use e-source, e-reg, or all paper? How, how does yeah, yeah. So we we were one of the first to like in the in the community adopt CTMS, uh, but we had Allegro, but we just went to real time because Allegro sunsetted. Uh, so we are like committed to. Um, getting into e-source and e-pay and all that right now like uh we're like we should have probably done all that like straight up front uh but now like there's so much volume of work and it's so disruptive to make change uh so we have to do it stepwise it's always harder later that's one of the things i did when i opened yuma clinical trials 2021 i said hey not even gonna question it e-source e-reg that's it yeah. my employees don't even know what it was like to use paper. I mean, we still use a little bit of paper here and there, but they have no clue. Like those binders we had with source. Yeah, correct, correct. All that stuff. They have no idea. And it's better. It's easier to teach that way. Yeah. Um, as far as like your study, like the volume of work, like how this year, 
how many like right now how many studies do you have going on at your site i think like well, hold on like we have like um we're very niche based right so we're yeah. like rare disease so like uh what we have give me one second i can give you the exact okay. number here i think like eight or so one two okay. three four uh hold on one two three four five six. yeah like we have like eight uh, and then there are uh, six or seven cooking right now. I see. And all pulmonology and some rare disease pulmonology. Yeah, all pulmonology, all rare disease. Like All rare disease. Yes. And so, and so, yeah, so it's high concentration. That way we've now left. So the rare disease in pulmonary is pulmonary fibrosis. Okay. Okay. The common disease is COPD, asthma, and lung cancer. Uh, and then, um, so yeah, we are heavy into pulmonary fibrosis. Like I'm, as a physician, I'm, that's sort of my, my niche. That's the patients I take care of. We're nationally recognized for that care. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, but we're getting into the common areas like lung cancer, COPD, asthma, and all that. I see. Yeah. I never really thought of lung cancer is treated by pulmonal i always assume no it's diagnostics diagnostics i see so that's where our our role would be in diagnostic studies you wouldn't do the interventional um, we wouldn't do the uh treatment but yeah uh, a lot of there's a lot of like invasiveness to making a lung cancer diagnosis where the science is going is to be able to diagnose it with like uh what they call liquid biopsies which is blood tests or nasal swab tests uh, so, like simpler things like that. So, there's a trend towards that. So, there's a lot of research on that. They're liquid biopsies, yeah. The um, so as far because the, all your studies are like rare disease niche. What is your typical daily volume of patients for research? Yeah, so I would say like you know I, I've heard your YouTube's where you always felt like a coordinator should be seeing like a patient a day or something like that. I remember yeah, like one of your that's a good metric. Yeah. <laughs> So we're like way like not there. Like we're like maybe like at um, two, two and a half visits, like a week per coordinator. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not there right now either. I have two studies that are so hard to enroll. We just finished one that was easy to enroll. We had like 10 randomized, 20 screened. Now I have two that are almost impossible to enroll. And I'm waiting for two new ones to start so we can start doing that one a day thing. But I think that one a day thing doesn't apply to rare disease you know rare disease is tough that applies to like when you're in newer site and you're starting just starting to grow ultimately you yeah. can probably grow into like two or three a day oh but yeah that's been my goal is like one a day and we last year we were doing one a day for like a three-month period and then those studies ended and we got new ones that really suck uh <laughs> i can't wait for the other stuff to start oh. okay i see so as far as like, maybe that's a good thing for your, the fact that you're staffing, like when you, when you subcontract back from the hospital, right. Or from the medical system, do you commit to a certain hours or is it variable? Uh... No, we just hire them like full-time or part-time or PR and the different brackets. We, we hire, we, we control the employees. Once they I come, see. like we control their work. We set their hours. They give you what's called departmental control. So they have a whole set of policies where which like you can control like at, at the department level. So which is like you can there's a lot of flexibility in, in running the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And if like if somebody doesn't work out, let's say you took a chance on someone, they don't work out, do they go back to the hospital and work for them? Uh, well, no, like so it's like they have like it's it's just like any other department. So like, you know, it's like, you know, first six months is probationary period. If it doesn't work out, you can tell them. But after that, there's like a structured process uh, like you have to go through. Uh, you can't just say, I don't want this person like hospital. It's yours. Like you have to like go through all this documentation stuff. Yeah. I see. But if they get, if they get terminated, they are not eligible for rehire in the whole hospital. I see. But if you lay them off due to business slowing down or something. Yeah, that's different. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Different. But if you like terminate it, it's actually a problem because let's say there's a good bedside nurse. Uh, who comes and does research and and really bad at research, and then you terminate them by rules. They can't even get a bedside nurse job again. Uh, and that's in a shortage. Yeah, right. you know, correct. So we kind of work with them to then we work with HR. Say, okay, you know what? Let's you know um, rehabilitate them somewhere else, and we work with them like that. Yeah, I see. Have you had to do any of that or you've been? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. yeah. Over the years, we've had turnaround, you know, we've, we've had to do all that. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your training because um, that's that's a lot of the things that I do hands on now that we're small. There's only me and three girls that I work with. Um, I hand train all of them. Um how does that work with you when you're busy seeing patients also? Yeah, yeah. So we, several few years ago, wrote down a very structured, like, onboarding program, uh, like, the the path, the pathway. And so right now, I only do, like, a few, few of the stuff. Like, I teach them about, like, the electronics, the email organization, wow. uh, communication, uh, core values. So I have, like, a set of four or five lectures. But all the clinical operations, like consenting and all that, like it's all the manager, and there's like a sheet on which they have to like go through a checkbox. For example, consenting would be like they have to watch three consents. They have to do they have to do three consents in front of somebody uh, and in front of a senior coordinator, and then get signed off, and then they'll be able to consent on their own. Something like that. Yeah. How does the consenting work? Like, at your, not to be like a site selection visit. Tell me your process yeah, yeah. of consent. But how does it work? Like at your site in a busy um, health system like that? Oh yeah, no, we're we're always available. So either myself or the sub I, uh, we're always available to uh, be there for the consent process. Not not a single patient ever consents without us uh, being there to answer all the questions. The coordinators will meet the patient and go through every page. Uh, and then we will join and then be there. But even before that, as part of the recruitment, they've already uh, been emailed or like given the consent in paper. And, and you know, it's anywhere from a few days to a few weeks before they're scheduled. So they have like had time to read it with their family, write down their questions and come. So and all that part is like documented and captured. I see. That's and and it makes sense because you guys are very niche and you you can accommodate that you can make yeah. the time for that at the I know some of the larger sites like mine when we get b- very busy you know the PI is not there for every ICF but he'll he'll he or she will always co-sign it afterwards but somebody is there to answer questions like a, whether yeah. it's a mid-level provider like a nurse practitioner sub I 
or somebody Got else it. in each of yeah. the coordinators. No, we, like, we, we actually like, um, we sign with the patient. Like it's like 10 seconds apart. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Have you tried e-consent yet? Not yet. Not yet. That's all part of the things. So one of the things has been like the, the weirdest thing has been the pandemic. You would think that <laughs> the pandemic, we should have been busy doing a lot of like COVID research and things like that because when yeah, I, took, I, took, I, yeah, I took care of COVID patients and I take care of COVID patients, but the pandemic caused so much disruption with like staffing and all the uh, staff were pulled to see COVID patients, that research and then the uh, pulmonary patients got scared to come to clinic. They were like staying at home. So we actually like research like was uh, kind of slowed down actually. Wow. Is your clinic within the hospital or like an outpatient hospital clinic? Uh, outpatient hospital clinic, yeah. I see. But like they were just scared to like just go anywhere. Yeah, I still have I a few that. few patients who are holdouts who still won't leave their house. Especially for anything respiratory. I mean, that was the yeah. most high high risk. And yeah. for anyone that wants to get Dr. Ramaswamy's um, perspective on that whole <laughs> pandemic follow him on twitter i don't want to get canceled again <laughs> linkedin linkedin, <laughs> LinkedIn twitter, oh, you want LinkedIn controversial <laughs> twitter is the best ones for you uh but yeah linkedin we'll put linkedin underneath um what's hot now and i know you do rare disease but like you were saying these liquid biopsies for detecting yeah that's for cancer like copd like people are really looking at like um uh, exacerbations. Biologic medicines are hot. Monoclonal antibodies. Maps are huge. Yeah. In yeah. every industry, it's yeah. insane. Yes, yes. Yeah. Do you think that's enough to power our industry, like for the next decade? Like every no, the next the next one coming is siRNA. I saw that. I'm reading that in my book. I'm reading right now, Breakthrough to. Uh, so you want to give like a like one minute for idea of what siRNA is? Yeah, I can. Like, remember, actually, it was my. Um, uh, in 2001, it was my basic science research, uh, and I had gotten a couple of grants on that, and I didn't pursue it. Yeah, uh, so it's a cool technology that got the Nobel Prize, and so you can uh, design a complement um, against an um, you know uh, an RNA or DNA strand, and you put it in the cell, it can go and then stop the gene from expressing into a protein. Okay, so basically, like whatever is supposed to be produced won't be produced. Uh, so I was able to actually, I was able to stop like RSV from multiplying, from replicating. I see. In and the that's, cells, so that's you can different do different mechanism. Like, that's different mechanism than like an mRNA vaccine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What's like the main? Just I'll research this, but what's like the main difference between this SI? I, I honestly don't know. It's been so long, I forgot. Yeah. Okay, I'm a, I. It sounds like it's not there to create a protein. It's there to stop. Yeah, stop so, protein from expressing. Correct. Yeah. So these would be like what signaling RNA, not not messenger RNA, but signaling. Si RNA. RNA. Yeah, small interfering RNA. Ah, there you go. There you go. Okay. Smaller. Okay, so maps, siRNA. Everybody, be on the lookout for that. What else is, are you excited about powering this industry forward? Uh, I think that's about it right now. I think. What um, about mRNA? Like, do you think yeah. that shows promise? Uh, I don't know. It's, I think it's got a lot of potential. It came on so fast, you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
so that what about CRISPR and gene gene therapy and things like yeah, that? Yeah, I, uh, I I I wish I I knew the answers to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to make like a bull case for like why this industry won't slow down, even if interest rates go crazy. <laughs> no, it will not slow down. I mean, there's a need to like. Well, it's always a human basic need to get better treatments and this, mm. you know, at all times. And so I think uh, the industry is going to like thrive uh, and grow. But I, I, I'd be, I'm more curious about the business model, this whole like, you know, um, sponsor, CRO, site relationship. Um, you know, the decentralized, tri decentralized trials, site consolidation. What about CROs themselves? Like, they're also consolidated a lot. We're going to be left with a handful here. Yeah, what about them? I mean, they're going to have to adapt. Look, my theory on this is if every site digitizes, right, e-source, e-reg, in theory at least, the sponsors can have more control over their studies which is what the CROs are currently hired to do, right? To go monitor, go do this and that. I'm already starting to see from the big sponsors, even though they use the big CROs, not going to name names, but the big pharma are already developing their own people internally. Like, let's be more involved with the research sites. We had a site selection visit yesterday. They're using a CRO, but guess who came? Not the CRO. Somebody from the sponsor. So yeah. I think... I think that's something that they see as potentially like, I mean, let's face it. It's not the most efficient business model. Like from the perspective of the sponsors is to use a CRO. There's a lot of waste. Yeah. That goes into that, which is real right. money. Correct. I have like being in a niche area, sponsors come to us directly and then they tell the CRO, go to this site. Yeah. And yeah. so then like a lot of times, like, when I've not gotten good budget terms or good contract terms, I've just picked up the phone and or the email and, and call the sponsor directly and gotten the CRO to comply. See, and that's the majority of the time, right? Uh, well, if it's small biotechs, it's easier. If it's a large a pharma, it's like harder. Mm -hmm. uh, but small biotechs, like, you know, we had like couple, uh, one CRO, like hold payments, even though we had 30-day payment terms. And then they said in their computer to pay us only 90 days. Uh, and then they, they, they pissed the sponsor off. That's um, probably what's happening to me. It sounds very familiar to what I'm currently dealing with. Yeah. I mean, they pissed the sponsor off because the sponsor is the person that I'd worked with in the clinical side, you know, like the, the CMO. Like, so all it took was a, a, an email. And then they were really upset with the CRO because the sponsor does not want site relationship to be uh sport right right and we're also seeing like this era we're in where the CROs have gotten so big and you know so powerful and i think oh. there's i mean i can't really articulate it but i think there's a overall feeling of a little bit of pushback amongst the sponsor like wait a minute you know we we do want to be more hands-on uh, but yeah. at least anecdotally, that's what I've been seeing. Yeah, we're having a sponsor like uh, rep come for a visit too with the yeah, CRO. So I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, glad I'm not a CRO in, in this oh. environment. I think I think the uh, market has some, is starting to shift a little bit. Towards... What do you think of DCTs? 
I mean, if you, if you think of it the way Craig Lipset talks about it, like it makes sense, providing patient options. So we have a study right now, SSV, that we just talked about yesterday that some visits they allow you. If the patient wants, you can do it by Zoom. And if the patient wants to come in, they can come in. You get paid the same as the site. Um, that's designed to be a very simple visit. So they give the patient the choice. I think that's good. I think we're, you know, there's nothing against that. I think that's providing options for patients, making it more patient-centric. What I don't like about DCT is when they push it on, on it for, they try to fit this square peg in a round hole and say, well, no, this can be DCT. You know, we're going to go straight to the patient's homes for everything. And we'll have the site be like a minor player in this. The major player, the main character will be the DCT company that's sort of orchestrating this whole thing. And we've seen, a, you know, failure after failure. I mean, look at the any DCT company that's publicly traded. Which ones? Brad, Brad picks on them all the time. Look at Life Sciences 37 as an example. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That, I didn't realize that was a DCT company. Yeah, and I mean, I know some of the people from there. I met them at conferences, nice people. But, you know, when you're VC-backed and then you go for an IPO and, you know, to cash out and try to fit this, try to feed the sponsors what they want. Again, the sponsors love this. Care Access is another example. Sponsors love that idea. Hey, we need Lyme disease. We need to go where the patients are. There's no sites there. Let's send a bus to do the research site, mobile research site. Well, look how that turned out. You know, it's in 50% of the sites where these mobile DCT vendor trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. So it depends on how you use the term DCT. Yeah. <laughs> That's my thoughts on that, yeah. but yeah. probably get people upset. No offense, Life Sciences 37. I don't actually have any personal experiences with you guys. <laughs> I'm going by Brad Hightower's post. He's the one dunking on you guys most yeah. of the time. I know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think as the industry tries to get more Jetsons, we're going to be more Flintstones too. Because, I mean, look what you're doing. You're doing like rare disease. You're happy to get one patient a week for these studies. Why do you need DCT for that? Like it's only, it's not hard to manage, you know? Have the patient come in. Now you could argue, well, the patient lives in New York and Dr. Ramaswamy's in North Carolina. Well, fine. Fly them first class. It's yeah. still cheaper. It's still cheaper. We've had studies where they flow, you know, surgery studies I've done in the past. They fly patients all over the place. I mean, is that DCT? Maybe that's DCT in a way too. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, there's this whole thing about like doing all the investigative work through a camera and like you know yeah i mean i think certain visits certain visits yes but again it needs to be driven in the protocol written on the protocol right yeah they're, they're writing them now to be like flex like they already identified which visits will yeah. be an option and they're letting us but the, we're doing we're getting paid the same i mean that would be if they come in person it's a very little pay anyways yeah. if they come in you know, on Zoom, it's the same thing. You're just basically asking a few questions and yeah. uh, making sure they're compliant. And then you schedule the next visit, which is more complicated with blood, ECG, all that stuff. 
ePros, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a place for it, but the way they've been executing on it, I think, is more was uh, better for the VCs than yeah. for the patients. Or, or yeah, what, what about all the site consolidation and like uh, private equity funding into like mega sites and yeah. Uh, but if that's, I mean, if interest rates go up, that's going to end too. Mm-hmm. I think we might have reached the peak for that. And, and what's the difference between that and what the SMOs in the late 90s were, which got the industry in a lot of trouble? You know, yeah, I wasn't they, that part of it to allow to educate me a little bit. I mean, historians will record, but they're, you know, they're basically it's the same strategy. Let's get a bunch of sites. Let's go find doctors that practice. Let's run research studies real quick at scale through all these doctor's offices all over the place. And we're going to get the startup fees and we're going to enroll like crazy. And then we won't care too much about quality because that's for the CRAs to do, not for us. And, you know, we're just going to do it again. If the CRA doesn't catch it, that's on them. Well, this stuff just snowballs. So what's the difference between that fiasco and, DCT or mega sites. I mean, what is a mega site? I've heard another one the other day, meta site. Oh, what's, wow. a, what's a meta site? I don't even know. I'm going <laughs> to put a Zuckerberg. meme. Yeah, I'm going yeah, to put a meme tomorrow on that one because I don't mm-hmm. even understand it. Maybe someone can explain it to me. Yeah. Now, I think what you're doing is what's needed. If you could, if we could make your life easier with technology like Viva or like you use real time or Creo or Versatrial. I think you should use Versatrial for all your bookmarks. It's free. Viva's Versa, free. Versatrial? Yeah, Versatrial. You they, like Viva? I met with the Viva people. Yeah, it's free. Yeah. I like anything free. I mean, I use Creo. That's also paid. But yeah. I use it more for the eSource and the CTMS. But e-regulatory is free. And if Viva Viva can read the writing on the wall, they see that eSource is also something sites want. They just want to do it well. CTMS. I mean, none of this stuff is like they're not blind. They know what sites need, and they know if they can empower the sites better, sponsors are going to use them. And I think the the consolidation is going to happen also on the tech side of research. Yeah. So, what tools. does Versa do? I'm looking at their website right now. What do they do? Versa Trail is awesome. They they help you store all your portals for every study, so you organize all your portals. They have password organizers they have even and and then when you're doing feasibility surveys they they remember all your information from your previous answers you should try i could oh yeah okay yeah we've been just doing it on spreadsheet that's really cool that they have versa trial is amazing i mean they don't sponsor they should sponsor but they don't sponsor but i talk about them all the time yeah i'm looking at the website yeah that's pretty cool yeah Yeah. so i think like those kind of tools um to empower sites to have more efficient practice. I think that we need more of that. So that would make another Dr. Ramaswamy, maybe in Tucson, Arizona, maybe he watches, she watches, she's inspired by this. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing with my medical system. Let me find out. They say yes. Now what? Well, now you got to get all these tools and figure out what the hell you're doing. And it might as well get the free ones. Yeah. So that's that's where I stand on all this stuff. Tech is great if it empowers sites. Tech is not so great if it's feeding venture capitalists because they like terms 
that sponsors like like decentralized trials and patient centricity. And yeah, they right. those buzzwords. Anything that life. you can tell them that's going to scale at pace that you that you cannot scale. Yeah, I mean, those buses scaled pretty well until it didn't. The wheels yeah. came off the buses. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, this was fascinating. I got to look yeah, thanks, the Sam, RNA. Yeah. Signal interrupting RNA. Small interfering oh, RNA. Small interfering RNA. That yeah. I'm gonna go on a rabbit hole on that one. If you tell me that's something new coming up. Well, there's already some drugs in it, but like different pharmaceuticals are um looking into it, you know. Yeah, this gets me more excited. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ramaswamy. I appreciate oh, it. Dan, thank you so much. Everybody go follow on LinkedIn. That's the link I will put his LinkedIn. Bonus extra credit, you go to Twitter. And YouTube, right? Yeah. And YouTube? No, I don't know. I don't know where all you put. Well, I oh think... no, yeah, yeah. This will be on YouTube and this when I get out of jail, this will be on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. I thought you had a YouTube. I was like, okay, I'll play your YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> okay. LinkedIn guys. And then bonus points Twitter. It's an entertaining follow for sure. Big fan of Djokovic. Yes. Are you? Yes. Uh, My dad's Serbian. And, oh, uh, oh God, yes. <laughs> the Dr. Hazen, there's some stuff. Djokovic, Djokovic has a team, okay? His team is aware of research. Let me just put it, leave it at that. Because I, I got some stories, guys. He's, he's, he knows it's a bunch of BS. Okay. And he's working he's looking gathering a team. They're doing they're gonna look into doing research. Yes, he invested in some biotech too. He is. He's big into life sciences. Yes. Yeah. Big. Despite yeah. what the how the media makes him seem. Yes. He's not anti life science whatsoever. He's putting yeah. his money into this stuff. Yeah. Well, anyways, I know you're a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> you're a bigger fan than me. I don't watch tennis that much, yeah. but he's cool. Might as That's well right. Him. That's right. Yeah. There's one fan in uh, London, uh, Pavi. Uh, he got a follow from Djokovic himself. Wow. And yeah, and in last year at Wimbledon, I was just there a day late, but they all got to hang, like he and his friends all got to hang out with uh, Elena Djokovic and her parents throughout Wimbledon. Wow. Yeah, so I'm 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 hoping to they've said that if I show up to Wimbledon this year, like uh they they'd like you know rope me in into their group. Oh man, I know some people who know his people that I can try to introduce you. Oh that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay. I'll I'll do that because I know Yeah, but it's yeah, it's too bad the US won't let him like based on like flimsy science, you know. Yeah. You know. I look. I have two out of three strikes, so I can't say anything else, man. <laughs> They'll strike you out for anything. And you know what happened, Doctor Ramaswamy? Between now and May first, if I have one more strike, three strikes, you're out. Permanently deleted my YouTube. Oh, really? Permanent. Between now and May first, I have to be really good. Oh wow! Best behavior. <laughs> I won't be saying anything on there. So this will go on YouTube, on the podcast, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, go follow Dr. Ramaswamy, guys. Thank you so much for being on. Well, th thank you, 
Yeah. Like, subscribe, comment, share, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.